0: I want to go into John chapter 7 today, and I want to start by just sharing with you a little story. I, I, used, I used to wear sunglasses all the time. How I many of you have to have sunglasses on all the time? I feel you. I used to be the same way, like always had to, if I didn't have my glasses, like instant headache, right? Anybody know what I'm saying? So I used to wear sunglasses all the time, and eventually I got away from wearing the sunglasses, and uh, now i hardly ever wear sunglasses unless I'm... Uh, fishing and when I fish I like to use polarized glasses how many of you know what polarized glasses are it's it's a a cheap trick to outfish your partner because if he's got regular glasses and you got polarized glasses you've already got the advantage because you can see the fish swimming under the water better than he can come on somebody so polarized glasses, what's cool about polarized glasses is that they help you to see past the reflections, they help you to see past the glare, and down into what's lying under the water. That's not perfect, it's not like sonar or radar that you can actually see what's literally there, but you can see better than you could if you were wearing regular glasses. And polarized glasses in Unis sales just went up 20%. <laughs> But today I want to talk to you about looking beneath the surface. Too often we judge things by appearance. Too often we judge things by what's easy to see. And then we make a judgment call based on what's easy to see. And nine out of ten times I believe we're wrong. So we don't look beneath the surface, we typically tend to respond or react, rather, we react to what's on the surface because we're not willing to put the effort, the time, the energy, the patience, and the grace into looking at what might lie underneath the surface or beneath the surface. For instance, as your kid comes home from school, you have no clue what went on at school, they come in and they're just not themselves. They're they're just, they're unsettled and they walk in and they got an attitude that you can go two ways with that as a parent. You can go head on and you can react and you can punch back against what they're coming at you with, or you can be patient, gracious, put the effort and the energy and the time in to look beneath the surface of what you're seeing so that you can make a better judgment of what's really going on. So today, I wanna help us to see or to look beneath the surface. We shouldn't be reactionary people per se. We should more be people who respond and there's a difference. To react is to have a spontaneous reaction that is driven by emotions. How many of you have ever, you don't have to raise your hands, but have ever acted or reacted based on your emotions. (laughs) That's why I didn't ask you to raise your hand. But rather we should respond. And to respond is to more thoughtful, it's a more thoughtful, logical, intelligent response to what's going on. React is emotion-driven. Response is intelligence-driven, patience-driven. I love you, I'm gonna dig deep to find out what's going on. I'm not just going to react to what I feel or sense or hear. I'm going to dig a little deeper. I'm going to look beneath the surface, and I'm going to see what's going on, and I want to respond to what's going on in you versus react to what's going on in you. But it requires energy. It requires effort. It requires patience and grace. You see, I respond better when my heart is at peace versus when my heart is anxious. If my heart, me personally, okay, I'm, I'm responsible for me, if my heart is at peace, I respond better than if I allow my heart to be anxious, I tend, when I, when I allow my heart to be anxious, I tend to react and not respond. Is this helping? You're responsible. You and the Holy Spirit are responsible for what's going on inside of you. And I promise you this, he is always ready to help you discover why your heart is not at peace. For me, any given day, my heart could be at peace five times and anxious six times. I mean, it's just, it it can be like that. You don't set it and forget it. It's always under attack, right? You know, the enemy is always after your peace, You see, when you study Paul and you study his letters to the church, I'm starting to understand why Paul started most of his letters with peace and grace. Go and read it. Any letter that Paul writes, he typically starts with peace and grace to you. What is he trying to do? He's trying to establish peace in their hearts and grace over them so that they can respond instead of react, that their heart is prepared to do something healthy and not something unhealthy. Make sense? So you might want to write this down. You are at your best when your heart is peaceful, so fight for peace always. You should refuse to live without peace. And I mean that by saying this. You should refuse to let the enemy and this world and other people steal your peace for one minute longer than it needs to be. You have to fight for peace. Come on. If you're hanging out with toxic people, you'll never have peace. So, Jesus today, we find in in John chapter 7, verse 23 to 24, Jesus is, is talking to a group of people and they're debating some things about the Sabbath. Uh, they're talking about what can and cannot be done on the Sabbath. Now, for those of you that don't know, the Sabbath was what God established way back in creation when, he, when, he, when on the seventh day he rested. He sabbathed. The, the commandments, the Ten Commandments, command us to receive a Sabbath once a week. A Sabbath for us is a blessing. It's a moment to break from working and laboring, to break from the stressing and the striving, and to rest and recover and connect. That's what a Sabbath is. And so to get the people of Israel to establish a Sabbath in their lifestyle, they had to to apply some laws and some rules of what could be done and what couldn't be done on a Sabbath. So they, they established some rules that like you couldn't go beyond so many miles in our, in our language. You couldn't go beyond too many miles. You couldn't do too many things. If you had chickens, you could pick the eggs, but like it wasn't a good time to clean the coop. <laughs> you, the, the point was to break from the working from the stress-filled environment and to stop and to rest. We don't do that well enough. Cheryl and I have have tried to establish Sabbath as Saturday. And and we're in a constant fight to to receive a Sabbath on Saturday, to enjoy a Sabbath on Saturday. It's hard. Because how many of you know there's a lot of things to do? (laughs) There is. And so Jesus is talking to them about what can and can't be done on the Sabbath. And they are angry with Jesus because he healed a guy on the Sabbath it's really interesting you remember the pool of Bethesda the guy never asked Jesus to come heal him Jesus approached the guy to heal him in fact the guy never even responded to Jesus vocally like agreeing that he wanted to be healed Jesus healed him on the Sabbath the guy picks up his mat he's walking he's rejoicing like live people do, and, and he's, he's going through, and, he, and, and the religious folks see him and go, you can't carry that mat on this day. What's wrong with you? He's like, bro, I just got my legs. Give me a minute. <laughs> and Jesus healed a man on the Sabbath that never requested a healing. That's deep. You could ponder on that this week. But they're angry because Jesus healed a man on the Sabbath but they felt freedom to circumcise on the Sabbath. That's quite interesting. So it's okay to circumcise on the Sabbath, but it's not okay to heal on the Sabbath. Say, hmm. So that's where we find Jesus in this moment. He's debating, arguing, all these things. He's at a festival that he snuck into (laughs) because he didn't want to cause too much trouble. And now he's in this moment, verse 23, it says, for it is the correct time, for if the correct time for circumcising your son falls on the Sabbath, you go ahead and do it as not as, you go ahead and do it so as not to break the law of Moses. So why should you be angry with me for healing a man on the Sabbath? Look beneath the surface so that you can judge correctly. How many of you wanna judge the things around you Correctly, show of hands. Okay. All right. That's enough to preach the rest of the message for. So Jesus is addressing the Sabbath issue, and they're arguing with him that it is okay for us to circumcise on the Sabbath. The way it worked was when Abraham, during Abraham's time, they established the circumcision of of the young males. And and on the eighth day of their life, they were to be circumcised. How many of you know the eighth day will occasionally fall on Sunday or Sabbath? It's gonna run into Sabbath. So then they had to reestablish another law that says okay, it's okay if your child is on the eighth day on the Sabbath to cut away the skin. (laughs) I'm gonna make your kids ask you some questions today. You're welcome. (laughs) And so if it fell on the Sabbath it was okay to circumcise. That was how the law worked out. And so they believed that, they bought into that, they practiced that, and they stood by that. But they also stood about the, about they also stood by the rest of the laws for the Sabbath that said you couldn't do X, Y, and Z. Jesus stayed in trouble for breaking Sabbath law. <laughs> So Jesus has an issue with their thinking. It's okay for them to wound on the Sabbath, but it's not okay for me to heal on the Sabbath. You see the, the plain reasoning and all that? It's okay for you to wound on the Sabbath, but it's not okay for me to heal on the Sabbath, they were looking at the surface. They were looking at the law, and what they saw was in the law is what they went by. But Jesus said, You're gonna to have to learn to look beneath the law. You got to, to learn to look beneath the surface so that you can judge correctly, so that when somebody gets healed on the Sabbath, you don't get all into a tissy fit. You don't get all disturbed because somebody receives a healing on the Sabbath. Come on. You're gonna to have to learn to look beneath the surface. There was a newlywed couple, and um, their first holiday came up, and they were excited. They were going to invite the whole family over for um, the holiday dinner, and and the, the, the wife is cooking for the very first time this big meal, and she's got this big old roast, and she cuts it in half. She puts it in the pot, puts the other half in the fridge, and the husband's sitting there like, why do you do that? What? Why'd you cut it in half? So my mama did. Well, why'd your mama do that? I don't know. Let me ask her. I think you should ask your mama why she only cooked half the roast. So she calls her mom. She says, Mom, why'd you only cook half the roast? She said, You know, I don't know. I need to call my mom. My mom always did it that way. So she calls her mom. Mom, why you only cook half a roast? She said, Oh, that's easy. My pot wasn't big enough for the whole roast. You see how we can make judgments based on how we're raised? You can see how we make judgments based on the influences in our life? You get around people that judge at the surface, sooner or later you're gonna only judge at the surface. And you'll be doing things that don't make any sense. Jesus is like, you're circumcising on the Sabbath, and you're okay with that? But I've got a man who didn't walk for 30-something years. Now he's walking, and he's got life, and you're mad at me for that? This doesn't even make sense. You're judging incorrectly. And many of us judge others and things according to how we were exampled by our elders. Because most of us, if we're being honest, were never exampled to how to look beneath the surface. Honestly, most of us were raised being judged and criticized and corrected according to what was seen on the surface. I mean of you would agree with that. You could have been wrestling with something internal that caused a bad attitude, and you got your tail whipped because of your bad attitude, but nobody ever set you down long enough to find out why you had that bad attitude. Is this helping anybody? So write this down. What bubbles up to the surface came from somewhere beneath. Jesus is teaching us today to put the effort, the energy, the time, the patience, the grace into looking at things beneath the surface. In Matthew chapter 12, Jesus made this statement. A tree is identified by, or he said these words. A tree is identified by its fruits. If a tree is good, its fruit will be good. If a tree is bad, its fruit will be bad. You brood of snakes. How could evil men like you speak what is good and right? For whatever is in your heart determines what you say. A good person produces good things from the treasury, watch this, of a good heart. And an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. So, what you're seeing on the surface, what's coming out of someone's mouth, what their attitude may be is is the surface, it's coming from something that's wrong in the heart. It's beneath the surface. So Jesus is teaching a principle that what comes out of your mouth or shows up in your attitude comes from beneath the surface of your mouth or your face, and it comes from your heart. Y'all know my wrestle with driving lately, right? I don't know what the heck's going on. Like, I can't even go to kinder without somebody just being slow. Anyway, I'm like, Lord, where's this coming from? I still ain't figured it out, but I'm digging. Pray for you, Pastor. You need some help. You see me driving, praying tongues as I pass, something. Just Lord, help him. <sighs> if you get in front of me, just go fast. <laughs> I can start with the 100 people that are here. <laughs> that might work. <laughs> if you're in front of a black Ford, just go fast, okay? Or, or get out the way, but get out the way fast. Okay. So here's a question for you. When you look around you, what do you see? What do you see in your world? I'm talking about your world, the, place that, the places that you go, the people that you see on a regular basis. I call that your world. It's the people maybe you work with, The people in your neighborhood, it's your family, it's your friends, it's your network of people. That is your world. So anytime you hear me say your world, that's who I'm talking about. What do you see when you look around at your world? And here's the second question. How are you judging it? Because there's some problems that need to be resolved. and Those problems are stemming by how we're judging what we're seeing. I'm going to let that sit there for a minute. So I want to give you a few things that I see today. There's a whole lot more, trust me. But I felt like these are the four most important things that I see right now. And I'm going to try to help you with these examples to see beneath the surface. Number one, I see a church, capital C Church, struggling with apathy. Apathy is a lack of concern a lack of importance. I mean, there's literally people dying and going to hell and we seem to just don't care. Not all of us, but some of us. Some of you care deeply. But I see a church struggling with apathy. On the surface, I've, I've had to struggle because if I judge it by the surface, it looks like people are just being lazy, distracted, and extremely selfish. And some are, right? Some folks are being lazy. Some folks are being distracted. And some folks are being selfish. That's what I see on the surface. So it it makes me, if I judge it by the surface, it makes me want to get a little bit impatient and a little more angry and a little more upset and a little more discouraged because of what I'm seeing on the surface. Like, God, people, would you just get it? Like, come on. We're only here for a little while, right? Like, rah, if I judge the surface. But I have to start asking the questions, what's going on beneath the surface? Why does the church seem to be wrestling and struggling with apathy? What's causing them to not really be concerned about the things of God anymore? Is it the darkness around them that's discouraging them? If you're going to judge something, you're going to have to ask questions. If you're going to look beneath the surface, you have to ask questions. How do I see beneath the surface? You have to consider everything that we've all been through and how each person experiences those things to begin to see beneath the surface. Let's back up a couple of years. Now, I, with you, am tired of hearing about COVID, but I think it's a, it's a pivotal point that we need to talk about, because it was an exposure. It exposed a lot of things. If you back up to COVID, we all experienced a similar thing, right? Lockdowns, masks, fear, panic, confusion. We all experienced similar things, but not all of us have similar responses to that, Right? Every one of us in this room experienced COVID pretty similar, but our response to it and what it did to us is quite different. It's not similar at all because some folks went into COVID spiritually strong. Some, some folks went into COVID like, let's build the kingdom, let's get after it, I'm rolling with God every day, let's go at it. They, they experienced COVID just like everybody else did, but their response to it was different because they went in healthy and they didn't go in unhealthy. And the opposite of that is true that some folks went into COVID barely hanging on. They were on the edge of walking away from God, and then COVID comes, and it was just the last thing, the last straw that tipped them over the edge, and they've walked away from God. They've walked away from the things of God, and they seem to be unconcerned about the things of God. I got my salvation. I got my name written in the book of life. I hope everybody else does well. I'm tapping out. So you have to ask the question, what did we experience? What have we experienced lately? You throw in the political atmosphere. You throw in the the media for one thing, right? All the stuff that's being said. We live in a sewage tank of information. Can I get a better amen? And it stinks. Can I get a better amen? I very seldom find something that smells refreshing. (laughs) This is what's funny about the church is that beneath the surface, when you start to examine what's going on, what you see is, is you see the capital C church struggling. We're legitimately struggling with apathy and people are stepping away. They're falling off the edge, but this is what's crazy. When you look beneath the surface and you dig for healthy information, you start to realize that the lost are getting found at the same time the church is getting lost. There's revival going at the same time. There's this apathy going on. So it's not gloom and doom. Come on, but if you judge it by the surface, discouragement comes. Quitting comes, giving up comes. I'm done, I'm out, I don't care no more. People don't care, I don't care. All that comes when you judge the surface. But if you'll look beneath with some spiritual eyes and gather some great information, you'll see that there's a great awakening. There's a revival going on across the globe right now. And so the church, it's just, it blows my mind, but there's people that are walking away from God. At the same time, there's people who've been away from God walking to God. And the cry of my heart is, Lord, how do we wake up the church? Lord, use me to wake up the church. I had to fight to be awake too. You don't think discouragement came after me? So we have to look beneath the surface. So that was number one. I see the church struggling with apathy. But why? Why is it struggling with that? Why does it seem this way? Why does it look this way? I got to dig in deep. Is this making sense? Number two, I see a world getting darker and darker. And on the surface, it looks like the world is getting more evil. How many of you would agree with that? You're like, man, evil has gone to next level, right? I mean, people are more wicked and selfish and greedy than ever before, right? Wrong. You're wrong. You're judging it by the surface. They were killing babies in the Old Testament. There was homosexuality in the Old Testament. There was freaky stuff in the Old Testament. The world hasn't gotten more evil. The church has gotten more dim. I heard a statistic. Russia is now the moral leader on the globe. Okay, did you catch that? Russia. You don't abort babies in Russia. You get persecuted or prosecuted for homosexuality in Russia. You go change your gender, you go into jail. In Russia, America has always been the global leader in morality, but we forfeited that. Right? Why? Why did we get here? How did we get here? If the world's not necessarily darker or if it's not more evil than it was, then what's going on right now? Justin, dim the lights, all of them. Just dim them. Don't turn them off. Just dim them. That's what's happening. Think about this. If the capital C church, you can bring them back up. If the capital C church is struggling with being unconcerned, if you're unconcerned, you're surely not standing for anything. If you're unconcerned, you're surely not saying anything. I remember you used to go to Mama's house, and Mama would tune you up in a minute, right? Boy, I heard you say that cuss word the other day, boy, come here, I got some soap for your mouth, right? Boy, you ain't been in church in two weeks, you better get your tail in church, boy, right? You had the, the, that generation that didn't, they weren't afraid to tell you something, now they always get it right. I mean, I went to church guilty many times, just because I had a fear of Mama and not a fear of the Lord, but... We had a voice. We stood against things. And we stood for things. Satan hasn't gotten more powerful. He's just gotten more permission. You might want to write that down. That's that wasn't even in the notes. He didn't get more powerful. He just got more permission. So, anytime beneath the surface, anytime there's an absence of light, darkness seems greater. When there's less moral influence in society, evil becomes more bold. It's not being resisted. We're walking away from the Word of God and we're retweeting and reposting inspirational statements that are not truth, BTW. Some of y'all are posting some junk and you're calling it inspirational. I say it's demonic. I'll take it to that extreme because it goes against this. Read your Bible and not the Facebook. And if you want to tweet and retweet and post and comment, Say something life-giving. There's less moral influence in society. And then there's this. We have to also learn to see beyond what media is telling us. Every time I watch the news and I sit on my phone too long, depression comes knocking at the door. Discouragement comes running up on me like a mad bull. Why is that? Because you have an enemy, Satan, and all he wants to do is steal, kill, and destroy you. So what is he going to give you? What, whatever you want to feed on, he's going to give you something that's going to kill, steal, and destroy you. Wow. What happens if you turn the TV off? Might get clarity. Might get peace. We've got to learn to see with spiritual eyes. I'm telling you now more than ever, I I just want to be closer to Jesus. I'm like, Lord, somebody around here needs to be close to you that can still speak the truth. I wanna be that guy. I I wanna die to myself. I wanna lay some things down to make sure that I'm connected with you and close with you and walking in fellowship with you so that I can discern what's you and what's the world. I wanna see with spiritual eyes. Come on. I wanna see with spiritual eyes. Not CNN's eyes, not Fox News' eyes, not even Ben Shapiro's eyes. Come on. So while the world seems to be getting darker and darker, revival's breaking out all over the globe. What's funny is, is there's always this thing that happens, and I'll see if I can explain it. There's always this thing that happens when, when you're about to experience some kind of breakthrough. And I don't want to over religiousize this, but like when, you're, when you, you, like when God's getting ready to break through in your life and there's getting ready to be like a, a stepping over a, a, a season of resistance or, or breaking through something, the enemy always comes with this a massive amount of quit, massive amount of like just give up, throw in the towel. And I'm looking at, 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 the, at the world and I'm looking at the church and I'm going, don't quit. Just don't quit. Come on, don't quit. Like revival's breaking out and if you quit, you might miss the revival and it's what we've been praying for. It's what we've been striving, not striving, but it's what we've been longing for. Don't quit. Look at your neighbor and say, don't quit. Number three, I see confusion in our kids. When I look around, I see confusion in our kids. I don't know as parents if we realize how much pressure pressure our kids are under. Newsflash, it's not the same as when you went to school. Your kids are under pressure 24-7. It is an onslaught of the enemy. He's trying to annihilate the next generation. Look at your children right now. He's trying to kill, steal, and destroy them right now. And we as parents have to wake up to the fact that our kids are in a war and we don't even know if they're equipped to fight. So we judge by the surface. And as long as we can't see anything, everything's good. You're wrong, my friend. We don't understand the pressure they're under. It's unlike the pressure I was under. I don't know if I could have withstood this pressure. I feel like Cheryl and I did a pretty good job of raising our kids. Not perfect by any means, but I feel like overall we did a pretty good job of raising our kids. But I realized that there's some things we didn't recognize that they were wrestling with at times. Never thought about how it feels to be the child uh, or the children of the pastors. I never thought about the pressure they feel from mom and dad's calling. I never thought about how you see my kids and at times can judge Cheryl and I based on our kids. How do you know we did that, Pastor? Because I've done that myself to other pastors. We didn't recognize that our children were facing some pressures that we were unaware of. On the surface, it may look like your kids are being rebellious in some ways. But can I encourage you to dig beneath the surface? What's really going on? Let me tell you a little bit about their pressure. I've been hanging out with students all summer. I've been working some young men all summer. I'm super proud of them. Thank, thank you, parents, for trusting me with you young men. I, I, I had thoughts, but they're still alive and healthy. I'm and, oh no, just picking. I, I've enjoyed every bit. I've been hanging out with our students more recently. I went to camp. I was there at camp for three days. Loved every bit of it. I'm starting to understand a little bit more about this pressure that they're under. It's one thing to go and research what kind of pressure they're under, but it's a different thing to walk with them in their pressure. Did you catch that? You can go study and learn a lot of of knowledgeable things about the pressure your kids are living in, but you'll never really understand it until you learn to walk with them through it. Does that make sense? And so this pressure that they're feeling right now, if I could... Boil it down to some degree. I don't know if I've got it to the bottom, but to some degree, this is what the pressure seems to be on your kids. You are not enough how you are. You are not enough how you are. You're not enough. You're not good enough. In fact, you're so not good enough how you are, you need to transition into something else. You need to be something else. You need to act differently. You need to respond differently. You need to identify differently than you currently identify because the way you identify is not good enough. It's a pressure that tells them they're not enough. Now, I expect our children to wrestle with some level of pressure. I think actually that's healthy for us to wrestle with some pressures at times. But I'm going to tell you, to wrestle with pressure and you're not equipped, your children succumb to the pressure almost instantly. And then they're forced into a situation where I've got to act this way in got to act this way in front of this group of people, and I got to act this way in front of this group of people and i can not let the one group of people know about the other group of people and how I act with that group of people. That could cause anxiety. That could cause depression. That could cause stress. That could cause a lot of things, right? (sighs) Whatever you're seeing on the surface, the root cause is usually beneath. You see, there's a problem we're facing, and it's this, is that parents have quit naming their kids. You quit naming your kids. So now the world's naming them. Oh, the world's not afraid to name your kids. In fact, it's anxiously waiting to name your kids. And even if you do name your kids, the world is going to try to convince your kids that that's not their name and they need another name. I remember when Ethan was a little boy and he'd be sitting at the table, even in a high chair. I would look over at him. I'd say, you a boy, God? Yeah. You a lion? Yeah. Let me hear you roar. We did goofy stuff like that. Parents quit naming their kids. So now kids get corrected by what's seen on the surface while they're longing for someone to look deeper. But my kids won't talk to me. They don't want to spend time with me. They say mean things to me. Parents hear me. Press through that. Don't get defeated by that. That's just another indication that you need to press in. If they're pushing you back, you need to come in. And if you can't get in this way, you better find another door. If you can't find another door, you better bust a hole in the ceiling and come in that way because your kids need you now. They need you now more than ever before. They need you to break into their lives and connect with them because they're hungry and they're longing for it. Because there's a spirit inside of your kids that says, what I'm getting fed over here, it just ain't right. It don't, something's off. But would somebody get a little deeper with me? Stop correcting me for what you see on the surface and come and discover why you're seeing what you're seeing on the surface. You have to trust me, they're hungry for your engagement. Whether they realize it or not, there is a hunger in them for truth and for clarity. Hear that. There is a hunger in them for truth and clarity. The enemy never satisfies. Sin never satisfies. Lies never satisfy. Your kids will never be satisfied if the world names them and then the world feeds them. They need truth to live their life on. They need truth to build their life on. They need truth to discover what their identity is. And then they need to walk with that long enough to build some courage and some confidence so when they step into their world and the enemy comes against them, they can resist because they already know who they are. Don't come around here with another name. My daddy named me. My mama named me. They told me who I am. I read the book. I know how God sees me. You're not going to convince me of that, C-R-A-P. I don't want to hear it. They're hungry. And parents, we have to give our kids permission to be who God's called them to be. You have to give them permission to be who God created them to be. I'm probably going to camp out here for a little while. If you've got a room of young boys, 10, 12, 13, 14, 16, whatever it is, and you put them in a room and you spend some time with them, you're going to start to discover real quick how God made them and how they're wired. Some will be an alpha type of boy, kind of a front runner, a charge, take charge, let's take the mountain kind of kid. Then you have some kids, some some boys who will lay back in the the side and doodle around or not be interested in what the alpha guy is doing. (laughs) And if you're not careful, you can judge because you've already got a preconceived idea of what a masculine boy is supposed to look like. I was raised in that thinking. When I was raised as a young boy, masculinity was a one-way road, one direction. If you're gonna be masculine, this is what masculinity looks like. It's rigid, it's hard, it's tough, it don't cry, it don't show weakness, it has no sensitivities, it goes and it plows, it takes the mountain, it kills the bear, that's what masculinity is, period. Anything that is not that is feminine. That's how I was raised. And I wasn't given permission to be who God created me to be. Now, you've got other boys who are sensitive. God wired them with more sensitivities. They feel things more or differently than the other boys do. Is that wrong? No, that's not wrong. You have boys that aren't interested in playing football. Now that I'm 49 years old and I ain't got much back left, (laughs) I'm like, I wish somebody told me I didn't have to play football. Just picking. But you got some boys who are artistic. They like the arts. Is anything wrong with that? I used to think there was. I was raised with that understanding. I would judge my friends and judge other boys by what I saw on the surface. Not even aware that God created them to be that way. I'll show you a biblical example. John and Peter. Now, John was called the son, one of the sons of thunder. It's because he had an attitude towards people. It wasn't that he was that brazen or strong or, or bodacious or anything like that. But John was called a son of thunder. But the Bible also tells us that John rested his head on Jesus' chest And he thought of himself as the one Jesus loved the most. And I ain't gonna lie to you, when I used to read the scriptures and John laid his head on Jesus' chest, I'm like, dude, that just ain't right. Like dudes don't do that. And I still have an issue with that. But that's who John was. He was secure enough in his masculinity that he could get close to another male without ever having to cross some kind of a sin line. Peter, on the other hand, was the guy who was not laying his head on Jesus's chest. He was not sitting at the feet of Jesus. Peter's the guy who literally cut somebody's ear off, right? Peter would be more of our definition of a masculine man. John would be more of an infeminate man, right? But God created both of them, right? He wired both of them, didn't he? So why wouldn't we give our children permission to be who God created them to be and then teach them how to live with that identity in how they were created instead of letting somebody else come in and rename them? Because if you don't tell your young boys that it's okay to be sensitive, it's okay to be different, if you don't give them a couple of roads of what masculinity looks like, and it's just one road, when they don't fit that box, there's a whole group of people trying to convince them that they need to transition into something else. So then this homosexual agenda comes flooding into your kids because they don't know who they are, they don't know how they were created, they don't know what their purpose is, and they get convinced And it's only, they're only getting convinced because the parents have failed to do what you're called to do. If you don't name them, the world will. If you don't help them discover how God created them and why God created them that way, the world will. The world will tell them they're a mistake. And they'll spend way too many years living in a a mistake. Your girls Chrissy is not the only definition of feminine, right? My mom was a pretty lady, but she drove a dump truck. I ain't lying to you. My mama flipped the dump truck down a levee and got up. They flipped the truck over, checked the oil, and she took off driving the rest of the day. That's my mom. My mom would punch you in the mouth. She wore dresses too. If your girl is not as prissy as the other girls, it doesn't mean that she's a mistake. If she wants to hang out with her dad and not her other girlfriends, is that wrong? It's our responsibility to identify them through God's word, by the grace of the Holy Spirit, with the help of the Holy Spirit, who, by the way, is a counselor and a teacher. So don't give me this bull that you don't know what to do. Read your Bible. The Holy Spirit is a counselor and a teacher. Hmm. It's our responsibility to identify them, to name them, and to build some some solidity in their identity which all brings about a clarity. So when they go into this dark world, they already know who they are. They're not wondering. I wonder if your kids are wondering. If you're waiting for them to ask you to have the talk, if you're waiting for them to ask you to dig deeper into their soul, it's not gonna happen. You're the adult, you're the one that needs to go with grace and with mercy and gentleness and kindness and you need to step into that moment and you need to be present there, not distracted, throw your phone in the stinking garbage can because it's insulting to your kids too when you're they're pouring their heart out to you and you're texting. There are people too but we got to provide. I got to put bread on the table, pastor. My job's very demanding. Last time I checked, your job's not as valuable as your kids are. Last time I checked, you're not going to be judged according to your job, but you will be judged according to your kids. So if you need to get a new job and get a smaller house to spend time with your kids, then by all means do so if you need to readjust your whole life and disrupt your whole schedule and change everything to be engaged with your children, by all means, do so. The return in your children is much greater than the return from your job. What you going to say to Jesus? Well, you know, I had that job. You know that job you gave me? Yeah, I remember the job I gave you. The one that you let turn into a God. The one that you let get unhealthy. The one you let control your life. I remember that job. It was a blessing, but it turned into a curse. I ain't not get no amens on that one. Because I promise you that the clock is ticking. The clock is ticking. It don't stop ticking. Minutes turn into hours, hours turn into days, days turn into weeks, weeks turn into months, months turn into years. And before you know it, they're out your house and you sacrificed your life on the altar of work. And you're standing there when your kids are moving out and you feel like you lost. Don't lose. Change things now. And I mean that. If you need to quit your job, quit your job for your kids. The guy that discipled me told me, he said, he's talking about a friend of his that had kids that were troubled and they, were, they had a lot of bad influences and he couldn't get them away from the influence. Some of the influences were family and they were this and that. And he said, I looked at the guy and I said, listen, for the sake of your kids, if you need to move out of country and live in a cave to raise your kids right, then by all means do so. Now, nobody wants to do that. But I'm trying to get you to understand that that you're going to have to take some extreme measures to re-engage with your children. And I'm just trying to give you some permission to do so. Because your job is not your reward, but your children are. Your income, your portfolio is not your reward, your children are. Pastor, that's a hard pill to swallow. I know, just drink more water. You see, here's the truth. While we struggle with truth, they're left to create their own truth. You want me to move on now? I can go longer. Number four, I see very little trust when I look around. I had a conversation with Pastor JJ this week, and he and I were both, like, anti-conspiracy guys. In fact, when COVID hit, I was that guy. I was the anti-conspiracy guy. I was the guy when we was doing all them them videos during COVID when we were in lockdown. I'm like, everything's not a conspiracy. Stop that. And that's who I was. I was like, I was that man, anti-conspiracy man. I'm not that man today. I look at the things and hear the things that I see and hear, and I, and I go, it's possible. <laughs> In fact, it's probable. And I, don't, I was never that guy. I never wanted to be this guy, but I wanted to be that guy. Like, not everything's a conspiracy. You know, Maui burns down, 114 people die, and all you hear on the news is conspiracies. And there's no trust anywhere The information overload is killing us in the areas of peace and trust and hope. Everything is a conspiracy now. The submarine that imploded under the ocean, conspiracy. People make jokes of it. People died. You see, when we know that we have an enemy who wants to steal, kill, and destroy... You have to understand this, and please get this today. He controls the media. How does he control the media? He does not have an iPhone or a computer. He has influence over humans. And he influences them to push out things that cause bad things. To push out information that causes stress and anxiety and depression and all these other things that we're dealing with. If all you're feeding on is that, then what's gonna get produced in your life? Even the media doesn't know who to trust. The right don't trust the right, and the left don't trust the left. What do we do? First off, we got to stop feeding on the wrong information. We're more concerned, and I'm telling you this because I know a bunch of you in this room really good. We're more concerned about current events than we are about eternal events. We are feeding on media more readily, more anxious because we think it pertains to us better and more relevant now than God's word does. So we're stepping away from truth and we're absorbing and consuming more lies because we think that that's what I need to hear right now. Take your TV, burn it, throw it in the trash, take your phone, get rid of it, get you a flip phone. You will get frustrated trying to watch media on a flip phone. Come on, my flip phone people. Anybody? I got one, my mother in law. Two, two, two of y'all. Come on, we're taking over. Four, I got four. Anybody else? (laughs) Can I get a flip phone? (laughs) But today's information gets more attention than God's word, both written and spoken. You're not hearing God when your heart is anxious. You're not hearing God when you're all stirred up by what's going on in the world. I'm in the food business also. I raise food. I grow food. If I listen to all the food things, I'm going to go dig me a hole in the backyard, make me a bunker. I'm going to store my feed. I'm going to give my whole life to growing groceries so that when this, this thing happens, I'll be ready. Well, how did that do with my purpose for God? It pulled me away from my purpose, away from my calling, and into panic and fear and trust, lack of trust, right? Hmm. That also, by the way, got amplified during COVID. Information and the need for information, and it hasn't relented since. How many of you would agree with that? It has not relented since. But here's the truth. People in our world, if they're truly hungry for truth, and I believe they are, then why wouldn't we be the people who anchor our lives in truth and stand in their lies with our truth? Why don't you be that guy? Why don't you be that girl who doesn't believe everything that they see on the news or on their phone? But instead, would you, would you be that guy or that girl that believes everything that God said, both written and spoken? Would you be that girl or that guy who's, who hears from God, hears his audible voice in the morning, say, hey, when you go see Susie, tell her that I do love her and I haven't forgotten about her? Two portions of Scripture, then I'm done. You can come up, Virginia. Psalms 121, verse 1 to 4. Listen to what it says. I look up to the mountains. Does that where my help comes from? Does that where my help comes from? Does my help come from there? Sorry, bad English. Number two, I mean, verse two. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. My help comes from the one who made heaven and and earth. He will not let you stumble. The one who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he watches over Israel. He who watches over Israel never slumbers or sleeps. Ah. Genesis 13 says this, after Lot had gone, the Lord said to Abraham, watch this, look, as far as you can see in every direction, north and south and east and west, I'm giving all this land as far as you can see to you. And your descendants as a permanent possession. And I will give you so many descendants that like the dust of the earth, they cannot be counted. Go and walk through the land in every direction for I am giving it to you. Watch this. While Satan is trying to get you to focus on the surface, trust God to get you looking in the right direction. He says to look beyond that. He says to look beneath that. He says to put the effort and the energy into seeing what's beneath the surface so that you can judge correctly, so that you can make decisions correctly, so that you can lead your family correctly. Come on. Can we look beneath the surface? It's going to cost you something. It's going cost you some energy. Time. it's going to require some patience some grace some awkwardness if you're going to engage with your kids let me tell you something there's going to be some awkward moments and just a side note don't let silence freak you out silence is your friend if you ask your kid a question and they don't respond just sit them out just get comfortable we thank you for your word. Jesus, I thank you for instructing us today to look beneath the surface so that we can judge correctly. Lord, help us to see Around us. In fact, help us to participate and to partner with it, like Pastor Willem said. Help us to partner with Ravana. To come alongside what you're doing on the globe and partner with it. For all of these parents here today, Lord, give them the courage to. be true of us, Lord. Give us the wisdom to make adjustments, the courage to make adjustments, the boldness to have the conversations we need to have, and the focus and the and the discernment to step into what you want us to step into. The enemy's after our kids. Just like he was after This week and next month and as we go, Lord. Anoint these parents to lead their children. Anoint these grandparents to speak boldly and to stand. Anoint all of us to stand in this dark world as pillars of light. God lead us out of apathy. Revive us, Lord. Set us on fire again. May our heart burn for what your heart burns for, Lord. We love you, Father. We Thank you. Bless you. No one looking around this morning, if you've never given your life to Jesus and you want to make that decision today, you say, I don't, I don't know where I stand with Jesus. Maybe that's you. Maybe you don't know where you stand with him never made a decision, I would say to you, I'm glad you're here this morning. So if that's you, you've never made a decision to give your life to Jesus or you don't know where you stand with Jesus, you want to make that decision today, would you just quickly raise your hand and then put it back down?